Uh, so have you heard, my name is Scott, um, I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I've been loving this present series, I don't know about you, just focusing in on the presence of God that we're in right now. And uh, you're joining, if you're joining us this morning, you're joining us halfway through this preaching series. And we've so far looked at God's presence in the garden, we've looked at the presence in the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, and we've looked at the, his presence in the temple, and today we're at the middle point, the center point, the fulcrum point of this series, but also, I would argue, the history of the world. So yes, it's the halfway through the series on the presence of God, but there's this moment in history that happens that kind of pivots everything. And so today we're going to be looking at Jesus. We're going to be looking at the fact that God came and dwelt amongst men, Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to center ourselves on Jesus today. That sounds like a good thing to do, doesn't it, for a church that says we want to be a Jesus-centered community. So this is a week four of a seven-week series. This is the fulcrum point. Now, just thinking about centering just for a moment, I know there's a lot said about centering in culture at the moment, isn't there? There's lots of techniques that we can use with our breathing that kind of bring us, uh, try to help us to focus in on what is most important, to clear our minds of all the noise and the stress and the anxiety to breathe and to bring all of that into our inner selves and bring calm, to create inner calm. We're going to do something similar this morning, but our focus is completely different. It's not about us. It's going to be about him. Not to find our inner calm, but to refocus again on Jesus, the very presence of God, and allow him to give us any calm that he may want to give us that comes from having relationship with him. So we're going to focus on Jesus this morning. We're going to finish the preach aptly by taking communion together. If we're going to focus it on Jesus, this is the right way to end a meeting like this and a service like this. So if you are online this morning, uh, this is probably a time for you to go and get your bread ready. But could you turn your TV up so you can still hear what I'm saying? Thank you. So our passage this morning is, one, is John 1, 1 to 3, and then verse 14. We're in John 1, 1 to 3, and then we're going to jump to 14. And I'm reading from the ESV, and it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then jump to 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, we want to thank you for these words. We want to thank you for inspiring John to write them all those years ago. I want to thank you as we come this morning, we get to center in on your son, Jesus Christ. We come to focus, to, we get to focus to be able to put him at the center again of all things. And I pray, Holy Spirit, as I speak this morning, would you move through me and this congregation and would you center your son in our lives? that we would be those who truly are a Jesus-centered community. In Jesus' name, I pray. 
Amen. Amen. So, we start in verse 1-2 with the word being spoken here. And the word, John is referring to Jesus. Just so that we're clear on that before I go any further. And verse 1 and 2 points out that Jesus, the Word, has always been there. Before anything was, He was along with the Father and the Spirit. So we have, as, as Christians, we believe there is God. The God of the Bible that we speak about is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons one God. It is a divine mystery. We can't get our heads around it fully, and yet that's who we understand he has revealed himself to us as. Three persons, one God. And Jesus is the second person of that. He is the Word, and he has always existed with God the Father and God the Spirit. Got, Got Questions website says of this particular um, piece in John 1.1, there are three important things in this passage about Jesus. Jesus was in the beginning. He was present at creation. Jesus has existed eternally with God. Number two, Jesus is distinct from the Father. He was with God. And thirdly, Jesus is the same as God in nature. He was God. So we hear that the word Jesus is God, was with God, was God. Okay, so it's quite... Mysterious, isn't it? In verse 3, we read that all things were made through the word, and without him, nothing has been made that was not made. And this points us all the way back to Genesis 1, doesn't it? Where we read God spoke and things come into being. God speaks, things come into being. Words go from, from God, the word goes from God. It's Jesus. He is the agent of creation, He is the one, he is the one who brings all things into being. God speaks, Jesus goes forth and brings things into being. Just take a moment. I'm deliberately trying to paint mystery for us. I think John is. And he speaks these words in John 1, 1 to 3, as he sets out his stall about who this Jesus is. And he says, guys, he is the one from ages past. The one we have been taught about. The one that we read about through the Torah, through other parts of Scripture, through the prophets. He's the one. And he's creating this picture. It's a mysterious picture. There is real mystery, friends, in what we believe, isn't there? God is knowable and he reveals things to us so we can understand him. But there is divine mystery in it all. As know-it-alls, we cannot know it all. Unless he reveals it to us. The reason I labour verses 1 to 3, the reason I wanted to mention those this morning is because by the time we get to verse 14, this is supposed to be a wow moment. A big reveal moment. And I want to paint the picture. I've been sitting in like an understanding in my own framework of trying to get this this present series in my own mind. So if I can have that slide up. Um, that's helped me to really try and understand how we're journeying through with the presence of God. So you'll see over here, the triune God creates the world and he puts humankind in it, into a garden, where women and men equal in his image. And we heard, didn't we, in week one, that he walks in that garden 
with his people. He makes his presence here in the world he has created. We have his uh, divine manifest presence. We're not told what it looks like. We're just told he walks with them in the garden. But he was knowable. And Adam and Eve were not afraid of that presence until they ate of the fruit. Time goes by after the fall has happened. And later we see his presence again in the tabernacle. The tabernacle, uh, on the, it, this presence that he comes with is fearsome. Once the tabernacle was built, the cloud covered the temple and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And the glory filled it. Not even Moses could enter at that first time, it says at the end of Exodus. Not even Moses could go in. God was present with his people. But it was in this mysterious form. It's a cloud and then there's the glory. Glory here meaning the manifest presence of God. The glory is there, but we're not told what it looks like. Was it, was it lots of light? Was it fire? Was it, we don't know. We weren't explained. But it, his glory was such that not even Moses could enter in. He's present, but it's unfathomable to us. It inspires awe and fear. And God manifests himself into this one space, the Holy of Holies. Now just to be clear, God was and is omnipresent. He's all places, all times, everywhere. But there are moments when he chooses to manifestly, when he comes in glory, when he, when he comes and we can tangibly experience and see and know him. And he is manifest here in this one space at one time. Tangible, can't really understand it, we just know he's there. And God, when he wanted his people of Israel to move on, he would lift the cloud. The tabernacle would be deconstructed. They would follow the cloud. And then when it stopped, they would erect the tabernacle again. And again, God would come and presence himself in the Holy of Holies. As such, God's manifest presence would come to many places as they wandered in the desert in the Holy of Holies in the tent of meeting. One space, many places as they wandered even went into the promised land. Then we move on again. So we've got this tent that gets deconstructed and constructed, gets moved around. Then we get to this next point here. You see where we're coming. We get to the temple. And at the temple, the temple is built, it's erected, it's dreamed up by David, it's built by Solomon. What has been transient in the tent now becomes static in one place, in a, built, a building built of bricks. God now in one place, accessible by one person, representing one people. This was never what God had intended. The manifest divine presence of God now restricted to a small area in a temple in one city for one people accessed by one person. That was never what he had designed. It's so far from the walking in the garden at the cool of the evening, isn't it? His relationship with his people now one of fear and awe and mysterious presence, almost unknowable. This is what the, the disciples and everyone have been carrying with them until Jesus came. Until Jesus came. And then in verse 14 of John 1 we read, The Word became flesh. God became flesh. God 
where God used to come and fill a space, he now comes and fills flesh. God literally presences himself on earth in human form. Philippians 2 says, doesn't it, born in the likeness of men. He comes and presences himself as an actual human being. The divine mystery of fully man and yet having the fullness of God dwelling in him. Colossians 2 verse 9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Wow. Friends, I'm not preaching today to give you an extra bit in your knowledge bank. I'm hoping many of you will know this stuff anyway. I'm, I'm preaching to help us feel something. I've, as I've studied this over these last few weeks, I've had fresh revelation about this wonderful moment in history. And that hasn't been a knowledge moment. I knew it. It's been a heart moment of the revelation of the presence of God and how that changes things, how it changed everything. I love John's clarity of thought and the way that he so beautifully draws all the threads together in this short passage in the Bible conveying this message which is truly astounding the word became flesh the unknowable now knowable the unfathomable now we can see him and he I can put my hands on him I can kind of we say about prophecy sometimes prophecy can be quite wild and wacky and out there we need handles put on it so we can hold it and understand it there's something about Jesus coming that puts handles on, the, on God and says that we can actually understand what it looks like. So God's presence, which was so terrible, so awesome, so distant in understanding intimacy and love and oneness as his people, now completely changes. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, is now a man. And he's dwelling with us, it says in this passage. He is now dwelling with us. With us. Loads of you have been in preachers about this particular uh, passage. So you'll probably know that the Greek here means dwelling, means that, that's written dwelling, means pitching a tent, tabernacling, pitching a tent. So God literally comes and he pitches his tent. He comes and he tabernacles with us. Where once his people pitched a tent in desert and God comes and presences himself there, God now takes the initiative, he pitches his tent. And he chooses to fill that tent. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 1-4, doesn't it? Paul's speaking about the human body as a tent. Our tent is temporary. We're looking forward to the moment when we will have our resurrection body. I wonder if this was in his mind as he was thinking about that. Jesus pitched his tent. He tabernacled here full of the Holy Spirit. We too have tents full of the Holy Spirit. The word becomes flesh and makes his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God was unfathomable. We couldn't work it out. That's what someone who is an essence spirit is, isn't it? It's difficult to work out. Can't quite pin it down. It's hard to describe with our limited imaginations and vocabulary. But when God becomes a man... The manifest presence of God is now present with us in a way that we can understand. Still mysterious, but we can put handles on it. 
we can at least understand the message he comes with, with the message of grace and the truth that he speaks because it's no longer pillars of cloud and fire or fire coming down on mysterious fingers writing on tablets of stone or on walls. Now the tangible presence of God is something we can touch. Jesus is the temporary, divinely human manifestation of God's presence. Wow. Jesus is my boyfriend does not sum up who Jesus is. Jesus is the person who I can pull out of my cupboard every now and again. or whatever. It doesn't explain who Jesus is. Jesus added to my already long list of things that I'm about as a person, no longer cuts it. Jesus is the very presence of God. And this is significant. I've got two things. It's probably significant in many other ways, but two things that God spoke to me about specifically. The first one is this, the understanding of relationship. Us having understanding of relationship. It's often said, isn't it, in, in, in the past, sorry, it's often been said in the past, hasn't it, that there seems to be two gods in the Bible. You've got the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. The God of wrath and anger and the God of love and see. One of wrath, anger and law, one of love, mercy and grace. The two seem so different. Now, just look at somebody around the room and say, I know that's not true. <laughs> and it's true, we do know it's not true. But I do think that misconception can come through something around presence and understanding the presence of God. At humans, as humans, at best... We question that which we don't understand, don't we? We question it. If we can't get our heads around it, we want to ask questions. We want to try and understand. That's how we've been trained to think. At worst, we ridicule it. We mock it. We're deeply suspicious of it. We can even become violent towards it. If we don't understand, if we can't relate to it, we write it off, turn away from it. Okay, at best... Science is part of that human nature. The questioning. We, we want to get some answers. We want, to know what's, we want to understand. We want to see what's going on here. At worst, we get things like racism. They don't look like us. They don't dress like us. They don't eat like us. Do family like us. Therefore, they're not to be trusted. We can't accept them. We're not letting them in. And that can become violent, as we know. This is human nature. It's part of human nature, isn't it? It's who we are. When we can relate to something, we can understand and we can work across difference. When we can relate. In the Old Testament, we, we can think of God as being this kind of wrathful God because he's this mysterious one who seems so far away and so different and so other and we read all the stuff. But here's the truth. We see a God in the Old Testament who loves his people. Okay, I'm going to point out how he's the same. He refers to them as, as a wife, there's relationship that he has. He refers to them as children. He loves them and he has great patience with them. He shows them mercy more often than we can count. His grace is shown on many occasions, not least when he kills the animal and makes clothing for Adam and Eve when they've sinned against him. 
He issues the punishment, leave the garden, and then he clothes them in what they need. Friends, that's grace, isn't it? There's no different God in the, in the Old Testament. We just don't understand him in the Old Testament. He's called God, and he's fire, and he's, and he's cloud, and he's all these different things. It's like, oh, I can't quite put handles on that. He seems quite scary and distant and other. Through Jesus, we see something different. When Jesus comes... He helps us understand the relationship. He's always had with these people. But he helps us understand the relationship that God has. He doesn't just tell us what God living is like. We now have something to see. An example to follow. A character of justice and mercy and grace and love and righteous anger. Because the righteous anger is still there. Remember when he flips tables? It's still there. One who both challenges the outworking of law as well as upholding the law and taking it to a higher level. This is what Jesus does. But somehow we're able to receive something because we understand. Oh, he's human. We get that. Through Jesus, we get to understand this relationship that God wants with his people. This loving God, this merciful God, this God of justice and God of wrath. How he wants to relate to his people. We see it, don't we? Jesus held children. That was odd at that time. You know, Jesus called children to himself. He laid hands on lepers, people he shouldn't have done that to. Jesus shows love for women. He shows love for his mum. He hugs, he laughs, he weeps. He does all these human things. He shows us what it is to be human. Because the presence of God comes in human form, we can get it. We get it. We see it. Over many years of marriage, my father-in-law Mick has taught me so much about do-it-yourself. DIY. It's not how I was naturally inclined. Didn't know one end of a drill from the other. But Mick in his patience and love and grace has taught me and shown me And I'm now confident to tackle most jobs to a certain point. I was shown how to use the tools, shown how to mix cement, how to take up floorboards and put in false joists. All things that were a mystery to me until I saw and could understand through someone I had relationship with. And this is how it is with the walk with Jesus. Jesus comes and he shows us what relationship with God and each other looks like my second thing that God revealed to me is just about what it is to be new creations new creations Jesus comes and he shows us what living as a new creation looks like as a spirit filled uh, creature living knowing the power of God manifest in us so Jesus full of the Holy Spirit he does miracles teaches sermons preaches the gospel raises people from the dead he calls us to do the same Full of the Holy Spirit, he endures the constant misunderstandings and mistakes of the disciples and keeps going in love and grace towards them. He calls us to the same. Full of the Holy Spirit, he resists the temptations of the devil and doesn't sin. He calls us to the same. Full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus goes through the darkest of times in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross. 
And friends, he calls us to the same. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit and is empowered to live and die as God has called him to. Jesus was a tent full of the presence of God. And he says to his disciples and all who would follow after that, that we too will be like him. We are then referred to as the temple. And we are all temples and together we are the living stones who make up the great temple of God, the church of God. Not just here in JMA, but across this town, across this nation, across the nations. We are living stones within all of that. That's what we're called to. We are new creations in Christ, as Paul often calls us. And this is how we see it move forward. Back up to the, um, the little diagram again. So the day we have Jesus, who is the center point, the fulcrum of all things, and then it moves on. I'm not going to do too much detail on this. I know there's preachers coming on these things. But just to say, in Pentecost, when Pentecost comes along, uh, the, the Holy Spirit pours out upon the disciples. It's in one place at one time on one group of people, but it is for all peoples. Suddenly there's a change. For the temple, it was one people, one place. Now it's going to be for all people. But Pentecost is still just one place. It's one moment. But then it moves on in history as the, as the church is scattered from Jerusalem and starts to spread across the known world. The church as we understand it as gatherings of people who follow the teachings of Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, start to appear in many different nations and many different people groups. This is far more tabernacle in nature. The presence of God manifests now in his people spread across the nations. Many peoples, many places. Wherever a believer lives, wherever the gathering of his church is, is established, is where the presence of God is. No longer fire and smoke as the divine mystery, but now God dwelling in man. The absurd but very real revelation and mystery. And the presence of God on this planet starts with Jesus coming in human form and presence in himself here on this earth. It all changes. It all changes. No longer one people, but all peoples. No longer temples or tabernacles, but now people full of the presence of God, his Holy Spirit. No longer unseen, now seen and known and understood. Still mystery, but now we've seen what love and grace and mercy looks like and how it works. Wow. The presence of God through Jesus on the earth was, is and will always be the most important point in history his death his resurrection his ascension proved to all that he was who he said he was if we are following Jesus here today this has already profoundly impacted our lives amen as believers of Christ we get to be his disciples those who follow after him who endeavor to live as he did to be those who point people towards him to be disciples who make disciples just to refer back to Sean's preach a couple of weeks ago. We get to be those who love like he did, who have peace as he did, who show grace and mercy like he did, to be the very presence of God as he was. We get to be those who lay hands on the sick and see them healed. We get to be those who make disciples of others because that is what Jesus has called us to and has empowered us for. We now have relationship with the Father in heaven. No need now for priests because we're now all a royal priesthood. It's changed. 
For those of us here who are not yet following Jesus, friends, he is the center point of all. Jesus is the one that grounds, who earths everything. I used to be a DJ and still have all my vinyl, some DJ turntables. When you plug in the phono cables into the back of the turntable, there's a third wire on there. And that wire is called the earthing or grounding cable. And you have to attach it to the back of the turntable and onto the back of the mixer. Now, I'm not a professional in these things. I'm sure if you talk to Cam at the end, he'll be able to explain to you why you need to do that. I'm going to tell you in layman's terms, if you don't, it sounds horrible. There's this horrible hum that just keeps going. And I play brilliant music, and I want to hear the music, not the hum. Okay? With that hum, it makes it hard to hear the music that I want to play. It's distracting. It's uncomfortable to the ears. It causes confusion, and it causes me to put my hands over. I can't hear this anymore. Some might say that about the music I play. But the point is, if the turntable isn't grounded, then you don't have clarity of sound. Life is so often like this, isn't it? There's so much noise. There's a deep hum of busyness, of stuff just coming, of advertising, of television, of sport, of all these things. There's just a hum in the world. And to hear anything clearly seems almost impossible. Friends, if you're not yet following Jesus, it is possible to have a clarity. At least about your purpose. At least about your significance. At least about what love looks like. And you can have that in Jesus this morning if you ground yourself in him, if you find your center in him. One day, we're all going to be, if we're following Jesus in that moment in heaven, again, with this permanent, divine, glorious presence of God. But until that time, God has called, Jesus has called us to remembering until he comes. Before we get into communion, I just want to take a moment to say a prayer. And if you're not yet following Jesus here this morning, I would invite you to say this prayer with me. I'm just going to make enough pauses so you can say the prayer. So if we can all bow our heads. <laughs> Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life, the things that have caused me to be away from you. Please forgive me. I now turn from anything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you came and centered yourself in this world that I may know what you look like so that we may know what you look like. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your Holy Spirit. And I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.